this is True Consequences, a true crime and mystery podcast with stories based in New Mexico in the American Desert Southwest. Welcome back to True Consequences. I'm your host, Eric Carter Lundin. Today we talk with Nicole Chavez of Robbed. Nicole's son, Jaden Chavez Silver, was brutally murdered in the summer of 2015. While this case was horrible, it did lead Nicole down a journey to helping other victims and advocating for victims' rights. She also spends a lot of time advocating and lobbying in the state legislature for tougher crime laws. Nicole is an inspiring person to me because she's really taken that grief of her loss and turned it into something relatively positive or as positive as it can be. If you're interested in learning more about Robbed, you can find them on Facebook at R-O-B-D. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. Also, don't forget, True Consequences is fully listener-supported. With your help, I can continue producing this show. If you want to support True Consequences, please go to patreon.com slash trueconsequences. You'll get a shout-out on an episode of True Consequences, as well as social media, and you'll get access to exclusive content, such as early access to episodes, unedited interviews, and more. Okay, let's hear from Nicole from Robbed. Jaden Carl Chavez Silver. He was... My firstborn, my only son. So beautiful, if you haven't already seen his picture. His smile could light up a room. You know, he was, as Kennedy said, my favorite child. He really wasn't. As a mother, though, you just love your sons differently than you love your daughters. It's the same love, but different. He was 17 years old. It was the summer before his senior year. It was on a Friday night, um, and at 9.45, around there, I got a call from a random number. June 26, 2015, and um, I was at home, and they said, are you Nicole Chavez? Are you the mother of, of Jaden Chavez Silver? And I said, yes. And he said, ma'am, your son's been shot. I just remember saying, I'm sorry, what did you say? And he said, your son's been shot. He's on the way to the hospital. And the first thing I said, and I know it, it really sounds stupid to me at this point, but my son grew up hunting. Mm-hmm. He went to hunter safety courses. Um, you know, he, I mean, we've always gone out and shot guns, mm-hmm. you know, at Calibers or the West Side. And, and he just grew up hunting, hunting, mm-hmm. fishing, all of the country stuff. And so I thought, okay, was he cleaning one of his friend's guns? What, you know, it must have been an accident. So the first thing I said was, well, is he okay? What happened? Because I thought maybe it was just an accidental shooting. You hear about those all the time, right? And I knew since he was, you know, six years old, he's been educated on, on guns and gun safety. And I remember the officer pausing like, I, I don't understand. You know, why is she asking this question? And he said, ma'am, bad enough that he's been transported to you and I need to get to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started screaming. I don't really remember what happened after that. My daughter, who they're 23 months apart, she's younger. She says that I was just, I started screaming that he had been shot. And uh, my husband came in and said, you know, what's going on? And so I said, that was 
that was the police. They said Jaden had been shot. He's on his way to you, and I have to go. And I don't know what I was doing. You know, I was ready to run outside, and he's like, wait, you know, I'll drive. And I remember the drive feeling like it was the longest drive. Um, I remember being at the Big Eye, and, and the lights were just kind of blurry, but we got there pretty fast. You know, I run into the emergency room, and I'm screaming at these front people behind the glass, telling them, they called and said, my son's been shot. Where is he? And I kept saying his name. And it went through four or five people, and they were like, there's no one here by that name. And it took probably 30 minutes, and I didn't understand what was going on. Well, again, until you're in the situation, you don't know how that works. But when a gunshot victim comes into the hospital at UNM, they put them under a code name for their own safety. In case somebody's still exactly. after them. Exactly. And I did not know that. But you would think that if somebody was screaming that their you know, child had been shot, then they're going to figure out or tell you something. But right. I was sitting there clueless, panicked, crying. So I called that number back. Thinking now, I think they already knew he was gone. I didn't. It, I could, I could hear his hesitation when he answered the phone, and I said, "Sir, this is Nicole. You called me earlier and said, you know, my son had been shot. I'm at UNM, and they say he's not here." And um, he paused and took a deep breath, and he said, "Ma'am, he's there. You ask again." And um, that's really all he gave me. So um, I was pretty panicked. By that time, you know, some of his friends had came, family had came. I had to call my family in Arizona to let them know. So my parents and my brother were driving from Arizona, and we didn't know anything. So um, I think they finally ended up pulling us into this back. Uh, I'll never forget it. It's a four, four walls, white, white, white room. Um, and I had no clue what room that was at the time. Um, so I was in there for about 30 minutes and um, thinking that it was a good thing that they pulled me in that room. And I remember praying. And the only thing I could think of, because then at that time, um, a security officer came in and, and then another officer came in and he was like very confused. And he said, I don't know what's going on. Um, and then someone said that they heard he got shot in the shoulder. So I was sticking with he got shot in the shoulder. Right. That's, that's not a big deal. He must be in surgery or something. I don't know. And so for 30 minutes, I I was coming up with an excuse because I knew Jaden was going to be mad that he couldn't play football his senior year because he's just going through surgery. Honestly, that was the only thing going through my mind for those. It felt like 30 minutes that we were sitting there. And so I was coming up with a speech to tell him, like, it's okay. You're still going to be out there with the team. You know, it's okay that it's your senior year. Mm -hmm. Um, You'll be fine. But I knew he was going to be really angry, right, because he was looking forward to it. A surgeon walked in. Behind the surgeon, a police officer walked in. Behind the police officer, a security guard walked in. Behind the security officer, a chaplain walked in. And honestly, I remember looking at him and still thinking, I mean, this is how clueless I was. Oh, the surgeon's coming to update me, and there's a chaplain in case I want to pray. I really thought that. That's not what happened. Um, the surgeon looked at me, and I still remember his face and the look in his eyes behind his glasses. He said, ma'am... 
Your son was shot. Below his collarbone. The bullet hit the top of his lung. He lost a lot of blood. We did everything we can, but he didn't make it. And I remember staring at him, and I didn't. I couldn't comprehend the words he was saying because I knew that my son had just had surgery, right? He wasn't going to play football. And um, it was just so confusing to me. And I asked him to repeat himself, and he did. And I just said, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're telling me because where was he? What was he doing? And... By that time, the officer said, you know, he was at a party and, and there was a, a drive-by. And I said, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, my son doesn't go to places where there's drive-bys. Where was he? And I looked at the surger, surgeon and I said, I need to see him. How do you know it's him? How do you know it's him? I need to see him. And, oh, my God, I think on top of being heartbroken, um, he looked at me and he said, ma'am, um, he's not here. OMI already took his body, and I dropped my knees, and I didn't understand how that could happen. As a parent, you know, you're told your your child didn't make it, and then they're telling you that they already took his body, and you can't see him so that you can have that closure or see it for yourself. And, and I was so confused, and I remember looking, and the officer looked at me and said, ma'am, um, when there's victims of homicide, their body is the evidence and you can't touch it. And I was so beside myself. I mean, there, there was, there's not even any words to describe the feeling of that right. So somebody took my son's life. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they took the right from me away to have that closure to see if it was him or to say goodbye or I mean, imagine somebody telling you that your child is dead, but you can't see him for a few days until OMI does their investigation. And I think that is one of the worst things that can ever happen. I know it wasn't that way for some other parents. Um, I honestly, I think UNM should change that 100% procedure because they make special Concessions. They do. They make special concessions for people. I've, I've, I've heard or seen it done. So for that to not have been done, I think that's something that has really bothered me this entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I, I honest, I didn't get to see him for three days. So knowing that your son is dead and that you didn't get to see him for three days, like I think in your mind it really plays tricks on you. I thought, you know, maybe it wasn't him still. Um, sure. You know, maybe. He was scared. Maybe something else happened. Um, at that point, his friends started coming into the hospital more. Family came in. And, you know, news was just spreading that he didn't make it. And, and people were just screaming and crying and devastated. And I remember looking at my daughter, and she just looked frozen, right? It affects those siblings so much. Yeah. And she didn't have any sort of emotion for days, and I was very worried. Um, she was 15 at the time, because Jaden was 17, and I think you try to be strong for them, but at the same time, you're lost. Um, I remember walking out of the hospital, and to the right to the left of the doors, there's a trash can, and I just threw up. I lost it. It just came out of nowhere. 
We drove home, and I remember just sitting there. I couldn't even do it. I, I had to have my husband call I, my family and my best friends because I, I couldn't say those words out loud. They called my my brother who was driving my parents from Arizona, and they had to pull over for probably about an hour because they got sick. My best friends and their family came over in the middle of the night, and we kind of just sat there in shock. And I think it was probably about 2 or 3 in the morning, detectives come into our house, and they have the homicide vest across them, which is, you know, just another kick to Mm -hmm. the throat of, you know, this really happened, and... Um, there are three of them, and they start asking a lot of questions, right? Um, you know, do you know these people? Do you know these people? And I had no idea who most of the people they were reading until they got to the four girls. And I'm mm. like, yes, my, my son goes to school with them. Well, that's what ended up happening is um, they were hanging out down the street at a park, and it had started raining. So that night, it was like the craziest rainstorm ever. Well, he was with four girls, um, two who had already graduated and two who was still in high school with him. And um, the girls had been to that house prior because there had been parties there or people that provided alcohol probably Mm -hmm. to underage girls. Um, And so they found out there was a party there. and It was raining, so they... Drove literally up the street. I mean, the park is probably 100 yards away. Um, It was 9.30 at night, so it was still early for a Friday in the summer. And um, he had been there for probably five to eight minutes. And he was sitting with one of his friends he had gone, that he wrestled with, because he wrestled at Manzano as well as play football. And um, most of the kids were in the dining room. Um, Jaden and his friend Carlos were in the kitchen up on a counter. And my son, I don't know, it's just something he always did since he was little. He liked to jump up on the high counters and just sit there, right, rather than chairs or whatever it is. Um, And I'm not sure how familiar you are with the case, but if you look at the pictures of the bullet bullet holes in the house, um, that's right where the kitchen was. Uh, I only wish he was in the dining room with those other kids at this point. Um, But he wasn't. Um, His keys were still right next to him up on the counter because he, the girls said that they were only going to stay for, you know, five or ten minutes and leave. Bullets came in the house. His friends say that what Jaden said was, I've been shot. I've been hit. I've been hit. And he was jumped down on the floor and they couldn't find anything, so they're like, no, you're fine. And then um, I guess that's when they, you know, he was shot. And I don't know that, first of all, they're, they're high school kids, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't even know how to handle that situation. But I think when you think, you know, it's up high, maybe on the shoulder by the collarbone, right? You're not okay. too worried. Yeah. On top of that, they started, you know, telling him it was okay, um, as he was losing consciousness, uh, they started giving him CPR. And what these kids didn't know, I mean, I I wouldn't have known it until I know it now is, you know, the worst thing you can do when somebody's Pumper. lung is punctured is do CPR. Mm-hmm. So he was, they were helping him drown in his own blood and they didn't know any better. And I'll never 
tell them that, but it just kills me to know. I, I As a mother, you imagine, like, what, how did my son feel? Was he scared? Um, did he feel it? I don't know. I, I guess he'll live with those questions forever. One of his best friends called 911, and I really wish that they would have given him more assistance because maybe they would have known <laughs> that his lung had been punctured and they shouldn't give CPR, but... I'm sure, as you're aware, if you uh, know the story, mm-hmm. uh, the 911 operator didn't do much to help. And then it was actually the dispatcher from fire department and just hung up on her because she had said the F word. She was panicked, which I guess if it's a life or death situation, most of the time people are panicked. I'll never know if that would have helped or not. We all know now if somebody's lung is punctured, lay them on their other side. Don't give them CPR, mm-hmm. right? And he could have easily lived. Well, that's not what happened. You know, they tried doing CPR till people showed up and then the officers even helped doing the safety. Police officers aren't, you know, trained like that. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I understand, they were trying to bring him back the whole way. They gave him lots of blood, lots of plasma in the hospital. It took a long time for his case to be solved. You know, I begged the public for weeks almost a month you know if anybody has any information please help Um, we had fundraisers to have a reward right the manzano kids wrestlers football players you know wash cars for those to bring a reward so people would come forward and you know it took a long time that no one did which is still surprising because everybody knows something in albuquerque right and so i think for me that was so frustrating finally I'll just go to the actual justice. We'll just skip over what happened prior to that because okay. it was it was a nightmare, right, living through. Um, I'm not sure if you or any of the listeners have ever been through court hearings and trials, but it is sometimes just as bad, mm-hmm. sometimes worse than already losing somebody that you love. It's exhausting. There's hundreds and hundreds of hearings that you have to be at. You have to be with the offender's family, right, right next to you. You have to see the offender. Um, One of mine never even had to serve time in jail, right? He got released until trial. And I had to run into him in the elevator going to um, one of the hearings, which is, I, I don't think as a victim of crime you can even describe the feeling that goes through you and physically too um it was awful it was awful it was just the judge the judge um i think that's another thing and and we'll cover that in a minute but there are probably almost 20 judges that are going up for retainment in november this year of 2020 um and the public really needs to pay attention to that because there are some judges that don't need to be on the bench anymore. They've made a lot of very poor decisions. Do you, I mean, we might as well get into that now and then we can go back to mm-hmm. the justice part of it, but how can the public educate themselves on the records of these judges? So there are several sites. I don't think any of those sites are 100% accurate. Sure. They just aren't. I've tried them all. Um, I think you have to go case by case. Um, I know at Robbed we've had 
a running record, especially of the higher profile or violent crimes. We've mm-hmm. really paid attention to what the judges are doing in those and, and definitely 100% will make it known and share that with the public as we get everything compiled in one document. Okay. Um, but it's really important to see what the judges have done. And they can blame the Arnold tool, which is part of the new constitutional amendment we all voted on. Um, but at that point, I think after this continued to happen, maybe a year, I would say give it a few months, but I mean, it's been a couple years now, right? But even after a year and they see that the public is outraged, they're there for a reason. They're judges. They should know what to do. If we were just to solely rely on a chart, then why do we need a judge in that chair? Right. If it's an algorithm. Like anybody could go in that chair. Right. right? Or I could go sit down in there. Or, you know, the bus driver could go sit down in there. It doesn't matter. They're there because they're supposed to have a lot of knowledge about the law, um, about what they should do. Especially when you get repeat offenders. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our group, our loved ones were murdered by repeat offenders. And that's in your acronym. Right. Repeat offenders bring death, devastation, and destruction. Um, but it's true. It it's is true, true for every single one of us. And when you get that information that this is a repeat offender, and I am not talking, so let me back up. I'm not talking, you know, this person has an issue with drugs because we should be helping those people, right? We should not be hurting the people that are in there trying to get help for drugs or they've done something nonviolent because because of drugs. drugs. That's different. They need treatment. Right. They need treatment. They need help. They need rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm talking repeat violent offenders. If you see that that person has committed a crime against children, a crime against another person physically, um, a crime with a weapon, um, homicide, attempted homicide, road rage. Armed robbery. Then that, yeah, armed robbery, anything with a weapon. That is not okay. He's done it once, twice, three times. How are you going to tell me that instead of looking at that individual's history, I am going to turn to the right and look at this ridiculous chart and it says get out. I mean, we have looked at that chart each and every direction and no matter where this history lives or what this person has done, that chart always says release on their own recognizance, which is crazy to me. You know, I unfortunately voted or were trying to fight for that constitutional amendment. I think because they told us, they promised us this, the only thing that's going to change and what this is for is for the poor individuals that cannot afford bail, they can be released. And we will make sure that they truly are poor, that they can afford it. I mean, if people go in and just say, I can't afford it, they let them go. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone thought that the bails bondsmen were these greedy people that all they did was get money so people could get out of jail. But what they didn't know and what a lot of the public didn't know and, and me included in that, right? Again, naive because you hadn't been through it. They kept track of these individuals because they only had to put a percentage down for their bail, but they kept track of them. And if they didn't show up to court, if they didn't show up to a hearing, 
they have their own set of people that go and find them. I mean, if you if you think of just think dog the bounty hunter, yeah. right? That's exactly, That's exactly what, what it is. Yeah. They have their own bounty hunters. They make sure to send them out and they have to show up. So they'll bring them back in handcuffs and make sure that they show up to that hearing or they go back to jail. There's nobody doing that anymore. Um, I wish that that bill had never been passed. I never knew how much those bail bondsmen kept the community safe. They really did. Yes, were they making a lot of money? They were, absolutely, right? No one's going to argue with that. But they kept a lot of those repeat offenders Mm -hmm. getting to those hearings or behind bars where they should be. Um, And I truly hope that that is revisited, whether it's at legislative session, whether we could put it on, you know, on for voting for the public. I don't really know, but we need to fix it. Yeah. Um, because what was told to us was a promise. And nowhere in that constitutional amendment did they talk about this Arnold tool. They threw that in after the fact. And I don't even know how that's possible. I don't know how they could have done that. Um, but again, even though they did that, I don't understand how a judge has to go by that. They're the judge. They're still supposed to be 100% whatever their decision is. Even if they weren't paying attention to the Arnold tool, that sh- is what they should be doing. Right. Um, that's what they pledged to do, right? And so I think it's really important for the public to pay attention when these judges come up for retainment. Mm-hmm. So they don't even have to be elected. They just have to be retained. But they really need to pay attention because we'll be, I'm, and I'm sure you will, we'll be showing yeah. who these judges are what they've done, um, and, you know, how, how should you vote? Or, or this is what they've done, the so think about yeah. how you should vote, right? You well, can't tell people how to vote. And I think that's that's important, too, because I can see people going the complete opposite direction and then just voting no against all of them. And you might lose some good judges right. <laughs> because so you do don't that do as that. well. <laughs> so don't go the other way, either. Don't, don't go all in or all out. Really, you know, and as soon as you have that information, if you share it with me, I'll put it on my website, I'll put it on my Facebook page, everything, share it with my listeners, because I think it's important that, you know, it, we don't have a good track record as a state of educating ourselves as a public on what's happening. Uh, the, the, the percentage of people that are actually aware of what's going on in the legislative sessions and with the judges is, is pretty small. And this is why we ended up with this constitutional amendment, because people like you, people like me, were duped into believing that everything was going to be better. Right. And we didn't see that a couple of years down the road, we would be here in the worst period of the state's history with the most homicides ever in this city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there was another one last night. Yes. There was another one, a, a child murder a couple of days ago. Yesterday. Yesterday. Um, so we never envisioned that. And I think part, partially I'll take my responsibility. I didn't look into it, but I did vote for it because I'm like, yes, less crime sounds good to me. See, and I looked into it. I talked to the people behind it. I talked to the legislators. I talked to the person that introduced it. Um, we had many meetings and we read through the bill, read through the bill. And, you know, during legislative session, they do change mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. sentences. And it could be a little sentence here and there. But it's it a does a lot of different, right. And still, again, never once did that say anything about an Arnold tool. But I think it's really important. So in 2020, 
um, here in the second judicial district in the criminal division, right? And that's where we have all of our violent Which crimes. Which is Bernalillo County, right? There are 10 judges and nine of them are up for retention. Okay. Nine of them are up for retention in 2020. Um, I have the list right here, but I'll share it with you. Perfect. And I'll post it on the website. Yes, definitely. And I think that they need to educate themselves on how these judges have handled these cases. Yeah. Again, they're not all judges that need to go. Some judges have been amazing. I've had a couple of those judges in some of the hearings that have really gone outside the box mm-hmm. or outside of that ridiculous Arnold tool because they paid attention to what that individual has done in their past. What does their criminal history look like? What are they being accused for, right? Mm-hmm. That That's very important. Looking at why are they here in the first place? I mean, that should already be your number one. What are they here for? What are they being accused for? And um, should we hold them, you know, behind bars to a hearing? So just a lot of very interesting things um, here in Albuquerque. It's um, it's a scary time, you know, and I, and I don't want to be an alarmist, but after starting this project, I've started to learn a lot more about what's going on and, uh, you know, just being more aware of what's mm-hmm. happening. And it's, it's scary to think, you know, I mean, not only have things not changed, they've gotten worse. Right. So um, I encourage all of my listeners to, you know, even if you're not a New Mexican, even if you're in another country, um, look into your your politicians, look into your judges, look into the laws that are being passed and, and start thinking critically about it because we never dreamed that we would be paying this price from one election. You know, and, and it's not just one ele- I mean, for the constitutional amendment, it is. That's what but, I was talking about, yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I think people really need to pay attention to how these legislators vote. Again, we have that information Mm -hmm. as well, and we're going to keep it handy this session. Mm -hmm. So I'll share it with you because, again, November is when we vote again, right? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, there are some politicians where you just can't do anything but like them because they say the right things every time, right? But then what the public doesn't know, when you go into legislative session and you're sitting there in a committee and they're voting against the bill, that makes a hundred percent sense because, you know, it's not what their party wants or they may have their own needs regardless of maybe what they do for a living, you know, whatever that may Family be. Family members. Uh-huh. Um, they're not voting for these bills over and over. And so, you know, I would encourage you, especially, um, you know, go in there to some of these committee sure. meetings. Listen, yeah. um, play those back. Uh, all legislative committees are recorded and people can listen from their laptop, right? They can watch. I would really encourage, especially when these strong crime bills come up, listen. Listen to what those smooth talkers are really saying, right? Those people that you just can't help but love when they're on TV or when you meet them face-to-face because they're not voting the way you think they are. And I think that's really important. Um, The other thing that's hard is some of these legislators have been in there for years, right? Then their community knows them, their neighborhood knows them, and there's not one person that's going to run against them. So a lot of these politicians that have been in office for decades, they don't ever have anybody run against them because 
their community knows them already. Their community is familiar with them and their community believes that they're doing amazing things for them, right? Um, and they're not paying attention to maybe some of the things they're voting against mm-hmm. or not fighting for. You know, they're just, you're Joe Smith and you're amazing and you come to all of my community events and, you know, with your smile and you talk to every one of us and you're amazing. Well, that doesn't make you amazing, right? That makes you really friendly and a great politician. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, again, I just beg for people to really pay attention to who you're voting for, especially here in the state of New Mexico. You know, November is not far away. It's less than a year away. We have a lot of important issues that this city is and the state is paying attention to and that they need to pay attention to because uh, the violence is just out of control. Mm -hmm. At this point, all parties, I think, which is good and unfortunate that it's happening, but they're all paying attention right now and they're saying that something needs to change, which I appreciate hearing. You know, that wasn't even said before. So um, it's good to know that they're paying attention and they know that something needs to change. Now, what that something is, we'll see. We'll see if when January comes, um, they're voting for bills or, or even introducing legislation that's going to help these issues. But, um, you know, I was just at a legislative finance committee on Tuesday um, for our district attorney, Raul Torres. He was there doing his update because they gave him a lot of money um, when he asked for it two sessions ago. And they were really, you know, questioning him on what has changed. And he had a great report, I'll share it with you, of everything they've done with their new programs and how they still need that money to continue um, to fight for crime in the state. And how, I mean, if you just look at his charts and the percentage of conviction rates um, versus two years ago, it is probably, you know, 30% higher. And I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. He's doing a lot of hard work. Um, You know, again, when people say, Nicole, you only go for Republicans or you only support Republicans. I think Raul Torres is very hardcore Democrat. And I respect that man so much, so much more than even some of the politicians I've met or legislators. He truly has a passion to do what's right for our community. Um, to do what's right for our state. And even if it's fighting sometimes against his own party, he does. He absolutely does. And I came in when the previous district attorney was in office, Carrie Brandenburg. And um, one of my son's murderers was a juvenile at the time. And he only had to serve one year in juvenile detention because it was a plea deal that they let him sign and didn't even talk to us. Awful. You know, my case was pretty high profile and never once did I meet with Carrie Brandenburg face to face, which is crazy. Um, I will tell you, moving from her to Raul when he came into office, he met with each one of us victims. He, even when they were trying to come up with plea deals, he made an appointment to meet with our family and say, look, is this okay? What do you think about this plea deal? We'll go the other way if that's what you want to do, but they go through, you know, we go through this, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, or this could happen. Mm -hmm. He explains it with the attorneys that are fighting the case. 
He lets family in there. He lets you ask questions. Um, you know, he's always available. And then what they did with that office, I don't know if you've seen the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, the office used to be just filled with boxes and boxes of case files in every single room. Um, when I went to trial, there was no place for us to go and sit. We had to sit for hours outside the courtroom or spend money at restaurants day in and day out. Um, we sat in that middle thing. Thank goodness it was warmer. You know, 20, 30, 40 of us outside for hours waiting on decisions. And now Raul has made an own special victims unit. Um, victims can go there and sit and wait. They can eat. There's rooms for them. Um, there's rooms for the victim advocates. Wow. Each of them have desks. They're volunteers. They go in and help um, with victims of violent crimes, rape, child abuse, whatever that is. But he has done a lot to really support um, the victims. And honestly, I can say it's night and day. So you know, I'm very happy that the community made that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm glad he won. And he's done, he's done a lot. So I hope he sticks around. <laughs> but I mean, that right there is just to show you what what one person or a a new administration can do for the community, right? And it also talks to the point that we were talking about before we actually started recording this is it's not enough to just blindly vote with your party no matter what it is. You need to really educate yourself about who that person is, what is their record, where do they stand on things, and look a little bit deeper than what they're actually saying, to your point, to help make your decision. Absolutely. You know, we've been saying that for the last four years. Please don't vote down the party line. And again, like I told you before mm-hmm. we started recording, I used to be that naive, right? I was I was raised that way. Uh, you know, you vote for all the Democrats, or I voted for all of the Spanish names because, <laughs> you know, that's what we were taught. We help one another and and you can't do that. You absolutely can't do that anymore. You really have to educate yourself on where this individual falls. Mm-hmm. Where do they vote? What does their voting record um, look like? What do they stand for? Um, and a lot of people, you know, they don't have time to educate themselves, they say. Um, or they weren't educated that way. So they're going to continue to vote down the party line or vote for Hispanics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they need not to do that, unfortunately. Um you need to look at that individual. You need to look at their voting record. You need to look at how they voted on these bills. And you can. You can look up those legislators. You can look up a bill. Um, and it's all free if you go to um, the New Mexico Legislator webpage. If you pull up those those bills, you can see where those voting records were. You can see where each of those legislators voted and how they voted on those bills. And I think that's really important to look at, mm-hmm. especially as November is not too far away. Um, you know, we have the worst homicide number that we've ever had. Yeah. Child abuse resulting in death, child abuse at all is at their highest. It's awful. Mm-hmm. It's awful. And um, even now, I mean, they've, they've changed laws for foster foster parents yeah, requirements, which is huge. I have many friends and acquaintances that are amazing foster parents. You know, they've opened up their home and... And now there's new laws that they can just do. The administration can just change without the community voting on it. And they can now, I mean, you don't even have to be a legal citizen to be a foster parent. Um, They'd rather put these kids that have been removed from a family situation with family um, instead of putting them in foster care without really looking at that family. I mean, I know in a 
different case, these children and this baby was removed from this family because obviously there were some huge issues. And that foster baby was put into foster care with a, somebody close to the family, and then that baby ended up in the hospital. Now all those kids are in foster care, thankfully. And, you know, it's never good to say thankfully, but thank God for those foster mm-hmm. parents. Um, because it's not always the best option right. to stay with family because there may be family history going back generations, right? right? And you really need to check on that. You really need to see um, where those family members are at, if they've had issues, um, if this is the safest option. And sometimes, you know, unfortunately, it's not the best option. Mm-hmm. It's not the best option to reunite with parents sometimes, and it's not the best option to put foster kids with family members if it could be dangerous. So I think, you know, I'm very thankful for foster parents. I hope they look at those new guidelines and change them or have hearings or committee meetings to, to look at that. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of things in this state um, that need to change. But I think, you know, crime is a huge one. Um, yeah. Foster care is another huge one. Mm-hmm. So those two things, um, people need to really be looking at that and paying attention in 2020. I'll go back to the judicial process. Okay. So like I said, it's, it's really hard when you go through trial. And it's like hell, right? Some people are scared to even get there because they don't want to have to go through the hearings and the trials. But going through those and getting through it, right? We got a we got a guilty first degree homicide. Um, it was great to get there. Um, he's now in prison. He's killed two people. Um, unfortunately, again, with our laws, people say, oh, he's got a life sentence. In New Mexico, the life sentence is 30 years mm-hmm. behind bars, and they only have to serve 85%. That's crazy to me. So this man has killed two people, and he's only going to be in prison for a little over 30 years. And he was only, what, 21 when he went in? That's crazy. So he could still have a full life Oh, absolutely. That. And he killed two people that we know of, right? <laughs> Um, to me, that kills me. I think that needs to be changed mm-hmm. somehow. And then the three strikes. You know, if he tries to kill someone a third time, I mean, we fought for that three strikes bill. Violent homicide. Violent attempted homicide. Violent crimes. And they're saying, no. I mean, it doesn't even get past the first committee because they're like, they've already served. The Hito's already served his time for those two. You're telling me that at the third homicide, third violent crime, you don't think they should be behind bars in prison for the rest of their lives? You think they should be out on the streets because Porosito has already served his time? No. To me, that is not an okay mm-hmm. answer. And so for the last four years, we've gotten a no at first committee. And it's crazy to me. And we've gone back and forth on changing little lines and laws and or little lines of you know, could it be aggravated? Did they have a weapon? Did they not have a weapon? Could it have been grabbing someone in the shoulders? I mean, which is fine, right? It's good for attorneys to go through those little things because we don't want somebody in there with a three strikes law. Right. And not be. But if California has it, how can New Mexico not? Mm-hmm. To me, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, point. When we go in there, when you finally get, whether it's a trial or a plea deal, um, the family gets to um, go to sentencing. And people get to speak. Um, Robbed helps 
people, you know, create slideshows or come up with victim statements. I think I was so offended during Isaias Madrid's sentencing because I had written a victim impact statement. Mm-hmm. My daughter wrote one. My brother wrote one. My father wrote one. Wow. Um, teachers wrote one. Coaches. And, you know, you put your heart and soul into those letters because you are telling the judge how much this person taking this life or committing this crime, how much that affected you, you individually, the community, and what happened, right? So it's going to be very passionate. Mm -hmm. When we were done with the slideshow of his pictures and when we were done reading um, our victim impact statements, his attorney had the audacity to stand up and say, I have never seen something like this. This was a show and a scene. And these letters, as if they could write them themselves, somebody clearly wrote these letters for them. And I thought, how dare you? How dare you? First of all, do you think that we're, you know, naive, uneducated individuals? You don't think we can write down our feelings with on paper? Um, and... Yeah, he said it. And and since that day, I think that's when um, us as a group decided, you know, we need to help people because we then started listening, right? Mm-hmm. Listening to people's stories or some people didn't even write speeches. They kind of just talked from the heart. And you, you can't do that all the time, especially at something as important as sentencing, right? right. You need to put it down because then you could just go on. And on about, you know, how you feel, but really not get your feelings all. Or get to the point. Yeah, on, at all. yeah, yeah. exactly. Because you're so emotional, sure. right? This is your one time to tell not only the judge, but this individual that did this to you and your family, how you truly feel and how mm-hmm. it affected you. Um, so, you know, we, we help victims now write those statements. But to think that that attorney, um, again, had the audacity to tell the judge and all of us in that courtroom that we didn't write our own letters. Um, it was very offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, I, I understand, I guess, now listening to some other people why he may have said that. And so we help. We help other victims. And and getting into that now, what Rob does, you know, we, we originally started as a support group because in 2015, at that time, it was, you know, the highest homicide rate. And, mm-hmm. and we call it the summer of a bloodbath, really. I mean, mm-hmm. um, all the way until the end of the year. So it was several of us that had lost our children to homicide. You know, after on, on the same exact day, you know, Stevie was murdered by that mob of kids, really. Um, that was in the early morning. And then Jaden, not you know, a block away was killed that night, which is off. Um, and then Leroy was killed that summer as well. And then you move in and, and there was Lily. Yeah. Um, and then the next day after Lily was uh, Officer Webster, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before that was Officer Benner. And it was just one after another after another. And somehow we all communicated with each other and and um, we met this amazing guy named Luis, he helped set us all up together, actually at a library on the west side <laughs> for the first time. And we all met and thought, you know, there something needs to change. We were all very angry. Mm-hmm. Right? We needed closure. We needed something to change. Um, because 
at that point, it wasn't just something that affected only us. There were so many of us right. uh, that the same thing happened to and, and repeat offenders every single time. And um, so we started inviting any legislator who wanted to come. And that year we had monthly meetings and, and legislator after legislator would come in. At the time, Chief Eden was the police chief and him and his amazing wife, Mary, came to every single one of our meetings. I mean, even when legislators weren't there, they would come and bring food and whatever we needed, right? They they knew how hard it was. They personally knew a couple of the victims. I didn't personally know them at the time until they started coming to our Rob meetings. But I mean, because they saw, you know, house after house, victim after victim, what we've gone through, uh, they just supported us throughout as well. So it was amazing. It really was. And it just grew from there. Unfortunately, our group keeps growing. You know, it started as a support group and then moved to really try to make legislators listen to victims. You need to hear us and you're going to hear what we have to say and you're going to hear what happened to us. That year, even if it was a, you know, the legislator had been there the month before, but it was a new legislator, we needed them to hear our stories. So we would go around um, the table and each person would tell their story. And it was very emotional, but we thought that it was very important for them to hear what happened to me what was taken from me and what needs to be changed. And again, all of us, I think most of us, I'd say 90%, they were repeat offenders that shouldn't have been out on the street in the first place, right? And that's when we decided to really try to change laws and make laws stronger. Mm -hmm. We really, you know, we've been trying to make the state hold criminals accountable for their actions. And what we've heard is, you keep saying holding them behind bars is all, you know, that they need and it's going to go away. Um, That's not what it is. They need help. And I'm like, we need to hold them accountable. I mean, for somebody getting a plea deal Mm -hmm. for killing someone and only having to serve 12 years, that's ridiculous. Um, Child abuse resulting in death. We called it the baby Brianna amendment. We've been fighting for that for the last four sessions. Right now, if they abuse a child and it results in death, if the child is 12 and under, they get 30 years. If that child is 13 and to 18, they only get 12 years, which is crazy. If they get 7 prosecuted. to 12, right? If they get prosecuted. If they go all the way to trial. If they even get prosecuted at all. Right. Because, I mean, your situation, they don't. And we would hear in those committees, unfortunately, oh, somebody over the age of 12 can fend for themselves. And then Jeremiah happened. Jeremiah happened the next legislative session. And unfortunately, we had to talk about Jeremiah. Um, Victoria Martins, right? She was a year away from that. Clearly, they were not in any situation to fend for themselves. Absolutely not. And if you abuse a child resulting in death, I mean, that's abuse over and over. You've seen their stories. They should also serve a life sentence that's been of happening. 30 years. That death is just the culmination of what's been happening for... I'm, I'm getting really... I get riled up about this, but that is a culmination of weeks and months and years of torture torture. and abuse and mind control and emotional control. And it's mind boggling that we even have to say that to these legislators. It's crazy. I mean, I'm telling you, if you took this into session and you sat there in those committees. It doesn't even get past the first committee to get to the second and the third and then moved over to the Senate. It doesn't happen. In our state, where these legislators are part of these communities saying no, how can you say no? 
you know, they have the defense attorneys come in, the association, the bar of defense attorneys. They're all there fighting against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's us still. I, I think they're sick of seeing our faces and hearing our stories. We're there. You know, the Albuquerque Chamber representatives are there. Um, district attorneys are there trying to fight for it. And they, it dies every time because people vote down party lines. It's very unfortunate. Well, I think that that really helps solidify kind of what we've been building up to in all of the episodes that I've been recording. Please, please, please educate yourselves. Find out what's happening. Be involved. Don't just assume that the person with the best smile and the best personality is going to do the best job for what's right because the chances are high that you could find yourself in this situation. Especially in in this state state and in Albuquerque. Mm -hmm. You, you know, we've come to know that homicides, bullets, crime, it affects everyone. Rich, poor, young, old, educated, uneducated, Republican, Democrat. It could happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad. So before we wrap up, can you just talk to my listeners about how they can find information about robbed, um, information, you know, if, if there's a website, Facebook page, whatever, and uh, anything else you want to share with them before we wrap up? Um, there's a Facebook page that is a little different that really just talks about, um, you know, paying attention to arrests or things that have happened or judges or laws. Um, and that's R-O-B-D. And you can find us on Facebook there. Um, we're working on our website now. Of course, because again, it's all volunteers, mm-hmm. you should know. Mm-hmm. We all do it ourselves, and we're all full-time employees working every day as well as parents, so it's hard to get that sure. um, up and running. But we are there, our Robbed Victims Homicide Advocacy Group that helps with victim impact statements, helps um, guide people through legislative process, mm-hmm. um, those things, we, that is a 501c so they can also, um, when we put our web page together, we'll also have um, information For on how to donate money because, you know, that helps as well. When you're doing all of this by yourself, it gets really expensive. Sure. Well, as soon as you have that up and running, let me know, and I'll blast it out on my channels as well. Um, I definitely want to support the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope listeners got something from this as far as listening to our stories and really trying to be more vigilant you know, when we're looking at educating ourselves on, on our state. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening to True Consequences. Follow us on social media, on Instagram and Facebook at True Consequences Pod, and on Twitter at True Cons Pod. True Consequences is hosted, written, and produced by me, your host, Eric Carter-Landine. Thanks for listening and stay safe, New Mexico.